Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Hey guys, welcome back to Storytime Podcast. I am your host, Haley Lira, and today I'm going to be discussing a very disturbing crime. I just want to give you guys fair warning. It is awful. It is about one of the worst killing sprees in history. It's about a family annihilator and crimes against children. So with that being said, I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. I love doing this podcast and sharing these stories with my true crime community. And I think one of my favorite things about doing the true crime podcast is when people I know and actually see in person run into me, it's really fun to have that little jibber jabber about the episodes and the victims and the, you know, just all the different aspects to true crime. So I just love it. I love doing this. Thank you for your support and tuning in. Please share and let's get started. So in lieu of this being Christmas week and because I celebrate Christmas, I really wanted to do a Christmas killing episode this holiday season. So I was doing some research and I stumbled upon one of the most heartbreaking and evil true crimes ever. Okay, so Robert Gene Simmons killed a total of 16 people and wounded four others during a week-long killing spree in Arkansas. Now, this took place in 1987. His victims included his entire family of 14 people and four people in the small community, which only had a population of like 14,000. So this really rocked the area. The family victims were his wife, his kids, his children's spouses, and his grandchildren. And this included a daughter who he molested and fathered a child with. He also killed the child... So I just want to mention on a side note, while I was dabbling on the internet to find like more information out about this, I discovered there's a lot of heinous crimes that take place in Arkansas. So stay tuned. I am for sure going to touch base with you guys on these. I mean, I could seriously do like a whole series just on Arkansas. It's that bad. Now let's get started on who the heck is Ronald Gene Simmons and what did he do? Okay, so Ronald Gene Simmons was born in 1940 in Illinois. His father had died of a stroke when he was only a year old. Wait, mm, little lad. Now, his mother remarried a year later to a man named William Griffin. At 17, Ronald decided he was going to drop out of school to join the Navy. And during his station in Washington, he met Barisable Rebecca Ulibarri, I believe is how you pronounce her last name. And she actually went by Becky, though. So they married in 1960 in New Mexico. Now, Ronald served two years in in the Vietnam War, and then he transferred to the Air Force. Now, during his military career, he actually received several awards for his service. I always find it particularly interesting when somebody seems to actually be successful in their careers. Turns out to be a psycho. Now, he and Becky lived in New Mexico, and they actually had seven kids over the next 18 years. That's a lot. He retired from the military in 79, and then in 1981, suspicions rose that Ronald had been sexually abusing his teenage daughter and actually fathered a child with her. Now, depending on what reports you find, some say that she was 15 and some say that she was 17. I believe she had she was 15 
when she became impregnated, but I'm not sure. So DHS launched an investigation, and according to the LA Times article, which was written in 1987, two sources had come forward to authorities. One was Ronald's son, Simmons Jr., and the other were friends of his daughter. So according to the district attorney over this case at the time, because remember, this this paper that I'm reading from was written in 1987. And so this quote would have been about, you know, six years after this crime actually took place. So he was the district attorney when he said this. But he said that it was really difficult to prosecute Ronald because the daughter refused to testify against him. She would not testify in front of a grand jury against her father. And they actually had to threaten to hold her in contempt of court. And so she did testify and her father was indicted. But when they went to serve him in a arrest warrant, August 1981, he and his entire family were gone. Okay, so he was put into the FBI database and they did look for him, but the authorities essentially lost him. They had no idea where he'd moved. So Ronald had actually moved his family to Arkansas to a remote location, which was referred to as Mockingbird Hill. They had a large property, 13 acres, two older mobile homes that they actually pulled together to make like one larger makeshift home. Now he kept a low profile. He didn't get in trouble and he just worked like regular low paying jobs around town, but he was weird. So, okay, he worked as a receivable clerk at Woodline Motor Freights until he quit because he had several sexual advance allegations. So, basically he was making sexual advances to a female colleague who was just not interested, and she told him that. So, he also worked at a Sinclair for like a year and a half until he quit the day before he began his crimes. Okay, so I'm sure you're wondering what the hell was Ronald like? Why did his wife stay with him after the sexual allegations against the daughter? Did he really father a child with the daughter? And here's what I will tell you. When they moved to Arkansas, for one, they had no phone. They could not have a phone. Secondly, they had no indoor plumbing at all. And they had this giant makeshift fence that was reported to be like 10 feet tall in some spots. According to Becky's brother, now Becky was his wife, Becky was never allowed to talk on the phone away from Ronald. For one, they didn't have one at their home. And for two, he'd stand next to her if she used a phone anywhere else. So that's crazy. F that. Her brother also said that he kept Becky so isolated that she could basically only go out alone to wash clothes. Ronald was not always like that, though. In fact, Becky's brother was his best man at their wedding, and he said that Ronald seemed just like any other typical guy back then. Now, they lived in Arkansas the remainder of their lives, and the daughter that he fathered a child with, Sheila, she actually moved out and got married and had another child and, like, went on with her life, which I found interesting. It was strange to me that the children did seem to have a life outside of the home and they grew up and like moved out and had families of their own even though Ronald was reportedly super super controlling now from what I gather Ronald never said what why he did his crimes but police found a series of letters between his wife and her sister and they kind of pieced together information and what they could piece together was that Ronald was extremely controlling and he had his whole family under his control so 
that must kind of explain why they went with him and they went to school and stuff and never told anybody like about their lives so very interesting to me that they all stuck by him and apparently because he was that controlling so here's what Ronald did police said it was like the any other Monday it was the Monday after Christmas so Christmas had been on a Friday that year meaning they had a pretty long weekend which I bet was nice until they got a phone call that shots had been fired a man had gone into a local attorney's office while the attorney was in court it was Ronald and he walked in and shot the office woman Kathy Gribbins Kendrick point blank behind her desk and then he just walked out Kathy was only 24 see Ronald really liked Kathy and he'd hit on her but she totally rejected him and this seemed to be why he was triggered to walk in and kill her now we knew we know that was Robert but at the time police did not know anything about who they were looking for other than there was a man with a gun no vehicle description no physical description except he had on a hat So when they arrived to that scene, they actually got a call about a second shooting in town. And it was at the Taylor Oil Company. But this time, they actually got a physical description of the car. It was a small vehicle, a station wagon. Nothing else about it, though. Now, what happened was Ronald had went in and shot Rusty Taylor while he was sitting at his desk talking to an employee named Craig. See... Rusty was his boss. He owned the uh, Sinclair that Ronald had just quit from. Now, what's really crazy about that day is that Rusty was talking to another employee named Craig, who was sitting in a chair, kind of pushed up against the wall across from his desk. And when Ronald came in and shot Rusty, he did not even notice Craig. Okay, and as Rust, as Rusty, as Ronald went to leave. Someone just so happened to be coming to visit Rusty in his office, and when they reached for the door handle and opened the door, it was a firefighter named J.D. Chafin. He was only 33, so when he reached and opened the door and turned it, Ronald immediately shot him in the face and killed him. He was just collateral damage, but he still did not know Craig was there, and so Craig survived with no injury nothing rusty survived too he did have an injury but it was not fatal according to investigators who went to a college class and rediscussed this case years later after that shooting they'd driven around in an unmarked car all around the area trying to detect this madman but they could not for one they had a slight vehicle description but they didn't know where he was going to go next or who he was and It wasn't until later that they found this out, but Ronald actually took a longabout route to get to his next location for the very reason to avoid police detection. He'd planned this out. His next stop was the Sinclair Mini Mart that he used to work nights out, the one that he had just quit from. This is where police got a third shooting call. See, he walked in and he was going to shoot the day clerk when the day clerk actually threw a chair and another employee began throwing canned goods at him. Now, he shot both the employees and although he did wound them, they were not fatal. Now, while at that crime scene, the investigators and people out looking for him got another call about another shooting. He had walked into and shot 
Joyce Butts at her job, his old supervisor. See, he hated Joyce Butts because he could not stand that she was a female supervisor and that she was able to boss him around. He didn't like it because she was a woman. This is according to the investigator of the crime and the lieutenant at the time. They also described him as having a severe control issue and that women were not to be in control ever, according to him. So he shoots Joyce and then he walks into the back office of the building with his gun drawn and tells his secretary to call the police. He then tells her that he was only there to shoot and kill Joyce. Now, he didn't kill Joyce, but he did render her brain damage. She did sustain a gunshot to the head. So, this is where his killing spree around town ended, and he turned himself in. And you know what, though? That was only the tip of the iceberg. After going into custody, Ronald gave them a fake name, and he refused to talk. They actually had to run the license plate on his vehicle to get any sort of name and address, which they did. They figured out who he was. Um, and they kind of did their math and called around. And the school told them that the kids had not been seen since they went home for Christmas break. They hadn't returned to school. And so this kind of raised alarm. And they decided that they should go check on the family after this horrific incident. According to the lieutenant, they went to the property. And there was vehicles everywhere. Lots of vehicles. But no one was answering. Now when they saw a window that was unlocked, they decided to open it and move the curtain. And that's when they saw a bunch of bodies covered up in the home. They went inside and they found several people had been killed and covered with coats or blankets from the home. Now what I'm about to tell you is just crazy and the purest evil. These are the events that took place. For one, Ronald used Christmas to lure his family all to one place to kill them. He'd had some of his kids dig a hole that he said he was going to use to be a dump for their waste. In reality, he was having them dig their own grave. Which makes me think this was meticulously planned. December 22nd, after his children got on the bus, Ronald shot his wife. And then he went down the hall and bludgeoned his son with a pipe before he shot him. After killing his son, he then strangled and killed his grandson, who was only 21 months old. Later, he put them in the hole, and when his children got home from school on the bus, I think he had told them that he had like a surprise for them or something, but he ended up bringing them in one by one, and that's where he strangled them, and they believe he may have placed their heads in these rainwater buckets they had inside, because remember, there was no running water, there's no plumbing. So after that, he then places their bodies into the hole that he'd had them dug and after he got all seven bodies in there he put kerosene over them and layers of rock and dirt over it into a grave now ronald stayed around the house for a couple days waiting for the arrival of the rest of his family they had an after christmas dinner planned so his first son arrived and i believe while his son was outside he shot the wife and then he waited for the son to run in, kind of panicked, which he did. And then Ronald shot him. After shooting both of them, he covered them with their coats and he strangled their baby. Next was the arrival of his daughter, Sheila. Sheila was the one who sh- 
he'd sexually abused and fathered a child with, and he repeated the same thing he had with his son's family, but with Sheila, her husband, the daughter he fathered, and Sheila's baby boy. He covered their bodies with coats and his granddaughter with the good tablecloth. Now, Ronald placed the two little boys, the infants, 21 months old, in the trunk in a trash bag and then in the trunk of some abandoned cars at the end of his driveway. When he was finished, he went out to the bar to get a drink. Yeah, to get a drink at the bar, okay? And then he came home and what did he do? He sat around his house and drank beer and watched TV for a couple of days. A couple of days with all those bodies covered up around him. After a couple days of that, December 28th was when he continued his killing spree in the town. Now, according to investigators, Ronald was an insanely controlling person. The lieutenant said through the letters that they saw, his wife was planning to leave him, and they think this is what flipped his switch. He was so controlling that, according to the lieutenant, he almost lost his shit when his daughter Sheila moved out. He wanted her to stay and marry her. Okay, they have letters of this information from his wife about this incest and the control that Ronald had over them. But Sheila did move out, and apparently one of the reasons that his wife was ready to leave and escape this awful life that they'd lived was because they think he was going to do the same thing with his the daughter that still lived there. I believe she was 17 at the time, and she was a doppelganger for her mother in her younger years. And he just loved to control this woman, Becky, and the girls. He wanted to control women and his family. And so they think that this kind of caused him to know he would lose control. And he didn't want that. So as far as the victim, Kathy, the 24-year-old law office secretary, before he killed her, he used to stalk her. He would go as far as he'd always leave flowers or stand outside and stare at her, sometimes at work, sometimes at her home. The police had many complaints about him harassing her. He was infatuated and obsessed with her, and he decided to kill her first when he went on a killing spree of all the people he was mad at because she rejected him. And that was a part of the issue with control. He had to have control. So same thing with Joyce. He shot her because he hated her being his boss. He shot the convenience store workers because he wanted the shift that they were on and he didn't get it. That's the same reason he went to shoot the owner, Rusty. Control. It was all control. In jail, Ronald was very quiet. He never expressed why he did his crimes. He never said why. He did plead guilty and he wanted to die for his crimes. They believe the reason he didn't shoot himself is just for the mere fact that the gun caliber was not one that could guarantee a clean, easy kill. He had to shoot some of his victims multiple times because he was using a 22 caliber weapon. And I believe not, I, I don't know much about guns, but I guess it was lacking the oomph it needed. So he was given the death penalty plus 147 years and he died by lethal injection June 25th, 1990. So that's a really short amount of time to be on death row. No surviving relatives claimed his body and he was buried in the jail fields for unclaimed inmate corpses. Seems appropriate. 
You guys, thank you so much for tuning in. This story is so insane to me. Um, A little tidbit is the presents were still wrapped under the Christmas tree at the Simmons home when Ronald killed his family and when investigators came. Okay, guys, so please go give Storytime a like and a follow. I go by Storytime Slayer on Instagram and Facebook. And also, I would love for my Apple listeners to please leave me a review, preferably five stars, but honesty is always the best policy. Um, Have a great week and happy holidays, guys. I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Thank you.